0: Before we start this episode, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who has supported the podcast. Whether you listen to one episode or multiple, I appreciate all the support. Just to let you know, Season 2 will run to the end of May and we'll go on a temporary pause. I will be starting a new podcast with UltiWorld called Hucking A with my co-host Danny Proby. We will be doing a coast-to-coast guide to everything Canadian Ultimate from the history, to feature stories interviews and tournament coverage so if you want to follow along with that you can check us out on instagram and twitter at hucking underscore a i would love for you to check out the new podcast and once again thank you for your support and hope you enjoy this episode you're listening to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast I'm your host, Theo Wan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review, and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by The Pocket AT. Ever want to have your health-related questions answered whenever you have them? Look no further than The Pocket AT. It's like having an athletic therapist with you 24-7. It's a free informational hub that provides you with everything you need to know about your health, including rehabilitative exercises, advanced sports-specific exercises, proper ways to stretch and foam roll, mobility exercises, nutrition, and a bi-weekly blog that discusses the most commonly asked questions to practitioners. Check out their content on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at ThePocketAT and on their website at PocketAT.com. Now with all that done, let's go! This week's guest is Robin Fennig. Robin is a handler who has played for college, club, professional, and national teams during her 14-year Ultimate career. At the club level, Robin has played for teams like Minneapolis Dragon Thrust, Alpha Cobra Squadron, Midwest Revolution, Madison Heist, DC Scandal, and Yaka out of France. She has made the semifinals of the USA Ultimate National Championships twice, in 2008 with Alpha Cobra Squadron, and 2010 with Dragon Thrust. She played for Madison Heist from 2012 to 2018, making the national championships every year that she played for them. She was part of the founding group that started Heist, who made nationals in their first year of existence. Robin has won two French national championships with Yaka and a bronze medal at the European Ultimate Club Finals. Her club career has come with many awards, including Ulti World's 2013 and 2014 women's club division, second team honors. In 2018, she was named to the all-club first team and was female offensive player of the year. And in 2019, she was a first-team all-club member and the club women's player of the year. She played her college career with the University of Wisconsin-Eau claire Seoul, being named a three-time all-region player. And she played for the University of iowa Saucy Nancy, where she was named first-team all-region, a Callahan runner-up, and helped the team finish 5th at the USA Ultimate College Championships. On the world stage, Robin won a gold medal with Dragon Thrust at the 2014 World Ultimate Club Championships, at the 2016 World Ultimate and Guts Championships with the Mixed Team, a 2017 Beach Worlds title with the Women's Masters Team, and she participated in the 2018 World Ultimate Club Championships with Yaka. At the pro level, Robin played with the Madison Radicals of the AUDL in 2018, and the Atlanta Soul in 2019. Robin gives back to the Ultimate community by being a coach for the University of Wisconsin-Belladonna from 2014 to 2018, and is currently the coach at Madison East High School. She is also a board member for the Madison Ultimate Frisbee Association, and she is the president of the board of directors for USA Ultimate. Robin currently lives in Madison, Wisconsin. Here is my interview with Robin Fennig. All right, so I'm here with Robin Fennig, living ultimate legend here. A long, illustrious career, as I noted off in the bio. So, Robin, how are you doing today? All the way from Madison, Wisconsin.
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you very much for having me. It is a really nice day out in Madison, which after the last, like, several days of clouds and snow, it's it's a delight to to be sharing some sunshine with you.
0: Yeah, and in Madison uh normally i i know in some regional tournaments right like i think college regionals it can be kind of snowy sometimes right for like in that region no because of uh because of the climate there in wisconsin
1: the uh, north central region has been uh known to be very treacherous for the college division horizontal sleet rain is definitely something I encountered a lot in my college career. I feel like the college kiddos these days have definitely been a little bit more blessed when it came to the weather they've had. And that's obviously random. You know, we we expect a certain kind of condition, but I feel like the regionals that I've coached or gone to watch recently, they've been a lot nicer than the ones that I remember when I was in college.
0: Yeah, and why don't we start there? We'll talk about your ultimate career. As I know it in the bio, just a lot of accomplishments. So why don't we start all the way from the beginning, how you got started into this great sport there?
1: So I started playing, um, for the first time I saw it, was in high school. We played it in gym class. Um, Somebody got hurt, so we never actually played. It was kind of like a, a super game of like 18 on 18 or something like that, and it wouldn't have been super awesome. But I didn't see ultimate again until I went to college, and it was kind of an alternative warm-up activity that we played when I was on the softball team at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. I would say a typical warm-up would, you know, be like the agility, functional movement type stuff. But every once in a while, we'd get to play something fun, um, and ultimate was kind of like our favorite alternative warm-up. Ironically, as a catcher in softball, I would actually have to run around wearing my shin guards. And my chest protector doing like all of our normal warm ups or so like if we did sprints or something, I mean, as a catcher, I was expected to be able to move well in my gear. So I also played ultimate. I mean, again, it was like 10 on 10 or something like that and running around in my catching gear and our pitchers were actually really good at throwing discs, both forehand and backhand. No one else on our team could throw a forehand. But then I didn't actually play my first actual game of 7-on-7 seven seven Ultimate until intramurals that following fall. I played for my dorm team, and they're just looking for some more players. And I said, sure, I'd love to do that because I like sports. And then I showed up to this intramural game, and we played against a team that was like comprised of all people on the men's and women's Ultimate teams. We didn't lose terribly, which is shocking. I mean, we, we lost, but everyone was like, oh, you have to come and play ultimate, you have to come play ultimate. And so for like that entire semester, I would get like these emails, or I'd see these people on campus, and they'd be like, you need to come to an ultimate practice. And finally, one of my teammates, who was an RA in a different dorm, she finally like came and she was like, okay, we'll leave you alone if you just come to a a practice or something. And so I went to a a 6am practice, In the fall semester of 2007. And I loved it. I actually laid out my first practice, because I don't know, I wanted to catch the disc and everyone was like, Oh, my God, that's amazing. And then I was like, but what what did I do? It was I just caught the disc. I mean, you guys catch the disc all the time. Why is this time any better? And so since then, I think like I liked that people gave me some good positive feedback that I was doing well, I couldn't throw for crap. But I stuck with it and continued to play. My sophomore year in college, I was really looking for another sports activity to do because I I stopped playing softball at the end of my freshman year and was kind of looking for something. And there weren't that many um, women's club sport opportunities. By the time I decided I didn't want to play softball, I'd already missed like club volleyball tryouts. And so it was either ultimate or rugby. Given my history of knee, knee injuries, I was like, I should probably not do rugby. Um, That would be probably terrible. And so I went to Ultimate, and I'm glad that I did.
0: Yeah, Robin, you shared something I didn't know about you, which is that you played some uh, collegiate softball there. So that's pretty cool. And so with your time with the Wisconsin Eau Claire Soul there, is that a D3 school? Were you participating in the D3 championships, or was it more D1? Or do you remember?
1: Well, I mean, when I started playing, there was no separate, like, Division Three, Division One. That delineation didn't happen until, I think, 2010. And I remember we felt like it was a very arbitrary split because it was based on student population. Because in the North Central region, you have Carlton College who has, what, under 3,000 students. And they have, like, seven ultimate teams that compete in the series. Yet my school that had just barely over that, you know, 10,000 population we i mean our team name was soul which stood for seven on the line because we literally had seven people my first year like it it seemed very arbitrary to me that's actually i think how i got started getting involved with usa ultimate was because i started like sharing my opinion about how this this division like based on like student body size not like by how established your ultimate program was Like, if you're a new team at a giant university and you barely have, like, we don't, I wasn't at a giant university, don't get me wrong, but if you're at a a bigger university and you don't have very many people in your club and you're a new sport, shouldn't you be able to opt into like a developmental series so that you could have more meaningful games? This is. My opinion that I made very clear to our regional coordinator. Next thing you know, I was a conference coordinator, and then I became a regional coordinator. That's 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 how we get sucked in, right? So
0: they they sucked you in, yeah. That's what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, but when
1: I started playing, I mean, our North Central region actually had a, a really large number of teams. Um, we do have, I would say, one of the larger Division Three regions in the college women's division. Um, but you know, in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, we were all one one big region. So. The number of teams definitely went down when we split between D3 and D1, but that is what it is, I guess.
0: And so in college, you got a few honors, both uh, with the Soul and then with the University of Iowa women's team as well. So uh, at that point, you're transitioning from softball into ultimate. So when did you realize that you could do some real damage, as they say in the sport, and that you could really hold your own and, and be someone that excels in it?
1: I don't think that I really understood like what my potential would be as an ultimate athlete until maybe, I mean, I think it took a few years. I definitely was really enthusiastic. I think most folks, when they start playing, they latch on to like a couple aspects of the sport they really like. Um, for me as a catcher, I spent a lot of hours with pitchers in the few years prior to, you know, coming to ultimate. I'm really excited about, working on small adjustments and throwing mechanics. I have a lot of patience for that. Really just like, I, I love throwing a disc. I should say I have spent and continue to spend a lot of time by myself throwing in a field with a bunch of discs. That's something that I, I just like throwing. I don't need to have a receiver. But I, I really latched on to wanting to be a, a good thrower just because I, I was fascinated by how you could put so many different edges on the disc. Much like I think in softball, where pitches, you can get pitches to move in all sorts of different directions by making these really small adjustments with your wrists or your body position or how open your hips are. And so that was something that fascinated me pretty early on. I didn't really latch on to like laying out on defense until a little bit later, but I did really like laying out. Um, I thought it was really fun. Um, I also love that ultimate was outside. That was one thing I loved about softball. But I missed playing, like I grew up playing basketball and I loved how fast paced basketball was, but I hated that it was inside. So the fact that I could have something fast paced and like get to move a lot and be outside was just ideal for me. I think for me, when I went to my first tournament, my first tournament was High Tide, which is a tournament that's in in the South, like in Georgia, I think typically. Um, So the first quote unquote tournament that I played was actually a hat tournament because that's how High Tide starts out is a hat tournament. And I remember I went to my team and, you know, like you have to self-rate yourself. And I was like, well, I've been playing ultimate for three weeks. So I'm a, I'm a zero for experience, right? Because I haven't been playing for a month. They're like, rate your throwing or your... And I'm just like, I can't throw half of the throws. So, you know, one out of five or something, right? Like, and so I get to my team and they're just like, holy crap, like you're super athletic. You like to lay out. What, what the hell? Like, how are you a one out of whatever? And I'm just like, they're like, did you sandbag? I was like, no, I've only been playing for three weeks. I don't understand how I could sandbag if I don't even know the objective. I barely understand what our offense is, even though I spent many hours trying to draw it out and do all the things I did in other sports, right? It was just like really interesting to get feedback from people like complete strangers I never met and honestly have never seen since then, right? Like that it was really encouraging and really positive and and Like I went into that thinking like, oh, God, I'm going to be the worst person on my team. Everyone's going to hate me. They're going to be like, oh, she's so terrible. And I think like it really helped boost my confidence to know that I was like I did have athleticism that transferred to field sports. So it it was definitely an ego boost. And I think from there it was like I kept getting like these these like positive like a lot of positive feedback about certain parts of like I would say qualities of my athleticism. And so it was easy to, to stick with it. Um, and it made like wanting to develop those weaknesses into strengths, something that I wanted to do because it was really nice to get praised. I feel like in softball, I didn't get as much praise from my coaches or my teammates. And I just feel like ultimate players, part of the culture, at least on the teams I've been in or been part of, there is like this really outward appreciation. And I, I don't think that it, it has been like fake. I think there's some aspects of like positive team culture, positive spirit of the game that can be a little fake. But I've always felt that that feedback that I've gotten or that I've given to my teammates or players that I've coached have been has been very genuine. So I guess that's that was a very long answer to your question.
0: No, that's okay. That's okay. We uh, we appreciate it on the podcast. And yeah, it sounds like you just come from a really competitive and athletic background, which is great to hear. And, and speaking of feedback, it, it must have felt good to, in your, you know, final year of eligibility in college with a new team though, uh, you get to be a Callahan runner up. What was that like to have that recognition um, at that point?
1: I would say it was, it was unexpected because, so I think the first thing is, is that I, I went to the university of Iowa because I wanted a master's degree um, in urban and regional planning. The year that I actually applied for graduate school The team, like Saucy Nancy, didn't make it to regionals. So like playing ultimate, I was like, oh, it's something that I can do. But going to Iowa was not the point, like that was not like the main reason I went there was to to pursue ultimate. And then the year that I got like accepted, like that spring, they qualified for regionals They had a pretty, like we actually at Eau Claire and Iowa had a really good game in the backdoor bracket. Seoul ended up winning. So that was cool. But it was great because it was like a combination of really good leadership in the program coupled with some new players in the program who were like first year players who were really excited and they all spent that year playing club getting a lot better. And so when I came to Iowa in the fall, we had this like super athletic, very young, and I would say very green when it came to Ultimate, but also really great leadership. And so it was kind of like this cool, perfect storm for me as a graduate student who had limited... You know, capacity to be at a lot of things. Um, my program largely had classes in the late afternoon, early evening, because it really is a professional program. Um, so, although I wasn't working full time, a lot of my um, the the students in my cohort were working full time for planning and zoning or other like city departments. And so, like I had an assistantship and did research and stuff during the day when my cohort uh, colleagues were at work. I actually didn't get to go to a lot of practices during the outdoor season Um, and really wasn't until the indoor season that I felt like I got to integrate with the team. To answer your question, like to get the recognition, I think was very unexpected for me because I felt like there were teammates who were able to put in a lot of work together during team time. I always try to maximize the time, energy and focus when I'm present with my team to give them everything that I have and knowing that that everything is going to vary from day to day. And I think because I'm an extrovert and I process externally, I think people always know how I'm feeling. They know how appreciative I am of people. And so when they nominated me for Callahan, I was like, I was blown away because yeah, I was giving a lot to myself, but in my mind, I thought other teammates were giving more. And so I just was blown away and just, I have so much gratitude for my teammates because I think it it really helped me feel like. What I was giving was not only enough, but they also appreciated that. And I, I just, I can't speak enough about the teammates that I did have, even though I think like about my time, you know, at Eau Claire on Seoul, I was definitely able to give more time, but I think the focus changed a little bit for me in grad school. And I definitely matured a lot, both as a player and as a human. So it was definitely unexpected. Didn't didn't think that that would happen, I you know, but I'm so thankful and appreciative. I obviously didn't win Callahan. I mean, Leela Tunnell, I mean, come on, dynamite, am I right? Like,
0: Yeah, legend, legend.
1: Right? I think even just to, to have my name in the same list of people, like, I think about the other people who were Callahan finalists that year, like Carolyn Finney, like, to be in the same sentence as her or the same sentence as Anchiso, who's been a longtime player for the Polar Bears, like it was really cool to just have that, to get that external validation that you're doing something right. It's definitely encouraging and and it helps you continue to work for something.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, you know, segueing well into my next question of doing something right. You're on some teams that actually made it to the USA Ultimate National Championship semifinals. So that's a pretty big deal. And and it kind of sounds like you started off more in the mixed game. Is that correct? Like kind of dipping your toes in the mix scene, especially with a very famous team that many in the audience will know, Minneapolis, Dragon Thrust, all the way back in 2010. So that team has been very successful for a very long time. So you made it to the semifinals with them and you also played a world's championship with them in 2014. But let's start talking about why you got into the mix game first uh, in the club scene.
1: So a lot of my teammates at Eau Claire played mixed ultimate in Minneapolis. Um, The team, I would say that was really kind of the predecessor before Dragon Thrust existed, was called Flaming Mo. And I had a captain at Seoul who played for the team. And in 2007, they didn't make it to nationals. And I was actually, you know, at that same club regionals in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was how big the central region used to be. I think when that, like when Flaming Mo dissolved as a team, the next year there was kind of an effort to To keep Mixed Ultimate happening in the Central Region, I think there were some folks both in the Twin Cities and in Ames that wanted to play single-gender Ultimate. The Chad Larson Experience, or CLX, and Flaming Moe kind of broke up in 2008, and so the remnants of those two teams came together and put together like a combination team, and that was when I started to play Mixed, was my second season in college. I was at Regionals, and Jamie Glader, who was my captain for Seoul, Um, introduced me to some of her teammates from Flaming Mo that wanted to continue to play mixed, um, even though their team had dissolved. And so they seemed really cool. A couple of them played at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And it sounded like a really cool, like from having played against at least the women and meeting them, it was really cool. I was like, okay, I could do this. And I lived in Milwaukee for the summer. There's not a whole lot at the time. There was not a lot of mixed ultimate options The team that I had played for my first year dissolved and it was like, okay, cool. So I could be a travel player. I didn't really go to practices. There really weren't a lot of practices because half the team was in, you know, Ames and the other half was in Minneapolis. So, you know, we just kind of all worked out independently and I think had like pods of folks to work out with. But then when I went, we went to lots of tournaments. I liked playing mixed because A, I knew the people who were on my team. I think point number one is you should like the people on your team you should play on a team where you feel like you can identify with whatever that team culture is, whatever is important to you. There's a lot of different teams out there, so first and foremost, I liked my teammates. Second, I think that as a new player having a lot of people who were a few years older than me who wanted to like help me in my journey was really encouraging. And so that was that was why I played mixed in 2008 and then in 2009 CLX recombobulated and the Minneapolis component formed this new team called Dragon Thrust. And I obviously was still, its my life situation was exactly the same still. I still got to play with my friends and people who cared about me. And of course I was going to do that. So played lots of tournaments, still didn't practice. Dragon Thrust did practice. I, again, lived in Milwaukee for the summer. When I moved back to Eau Claire for the school year, went to some practices and stuff. Again, it was to me the right fit for me. Um, the team culture, I think Dragon Thrust is still a very successful team um, and has really positive uh, team culture. And when I say positive, I don't mean like fake nice. I mean like helping athletes develop in an environment that's both competitive and supportive. Um, there's definitely, you know, you get your mix of some shit talk, you get, you know, you get some jokes, you get a little bit of everything. But it's really a competitive team culture that kind of allows people to thrive as themselves. And I I really appreciated that. The reason that I stopped playing mixed was because my life situation changed. I was no longer located close to Minneapolis. And I think that Dragon Thrust had really become a very serious club team in my second season. To me, not practicing was not okay based on the team culture that was really being cultivated. I moved to Iowa City for graduate school. um, And so I played on team in St. Louis, a women's team. So for me, it was, it's never been a question of like, oh, single gender or mixed being better than the other. It's about finding a team culture that fits for you, the style on field that that fits for you. And like, I've just been very lucky, I think, to have been in a place or near a place that, that has helped me like access the type of ultimate I wanted to access.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer there, Robin, in terms of, you know, why you decided to move around and we'll now park ourselves into kind of the crux of your career in terms of how long you've stayed at one team, which was with Madison heist. So that sounds like kind of life situation as well, but you've gotten a few awards in that time, uh, a few awards there from Ulti world, just being noted as a top uh, women's club player there. So can you summarize your time with heist there? I know uh, we were talking about this off air, but you were unfortunately injured during their best finish at the national championships, but nonetheless you were there in a coaching capacity. So you played at Heist for a very long time and then transitioned to Scandal just this past it would have been the past season that we've actually played, which is twenty nineteen, even though twenty twenty did happen, we wanna forget it. But uh yeah, so talk about your time with uh Heist there.
1: I played women's in two thousand eleven in the club division for the first time. Um but again, I knew that I ultimately wanted to live in Madison. I just like from a community and where I wanted to, I mean, to, to live and not go to school and actually like build a life. Um, I knew that Madison was kind of where I wanted to be. Um, and then actually had a conversation with Corinne McKittrick, now Corinne Wade. But we talked because she prior had been traveling, like when she played women's competitive ultimate, like club ultimate, she had to travel to Chicago to do that. And I was like, I, I could continue to travel to St. Louis. There's a competitive women's club ultimate team there. And that could be something I could do. And then Georgia Basher at the time was playing for San Francisco Fury, despite being in veterinary school at the University of Wisconsin. She was able to, I think, sync up some internship opportunities to match up to be out in California for a bulk of the season. But I think the three of us had gotten to the point where we didn't want to have to travel to access elite level women's division competition. There had been a number of club teams that were mixed club teams in Madison, but there was no really like super competitive women's club team. And so the three of us wanted to make that happen. Um, and so we started Heist in 2012. And I think like having the opportunity to build something with other people that I admire the way that I admire Corinne in Georgia has been honestly something that I can hang my hat up like an achievement No matter after COVID, like if heist ceased to exist someday, it doesn't mean that it's a failure, you know, for me, like having the opportunity to build something and build that legacy with Corinne and Georgia has been just one of the crowning achievements of my life. And honestly, like they're both, I think Corinne's last year on heist was in 2014 or 2015. I can't remember. I always remember based on what jerseys we wore, you know, and we had some of the same jerseys in 2013, 2014. So I can't remember. Honestly, like I, I can't speak enough about that opportunity to build a team with them. I think Madison is a transient city. I think in every club team in Madison, you have a lot of college age folks because the University of Wisconsin is one of the biggest universities in the U.S. We have a, an undergraduate population of like forty thousand plus grad students. Like it's it's huge. It's like half of our city population. So you have this like huge college age folks. You get like recent college grads, and then you have people in their their 30s. There's not a lot of folks kind of in the late 20s, early 30 demographic. So it was interesting to, I think, build this team of people that was mostly in college or immediately graduated college. And I think Corinne was the oldest person at like 26 or 27 or something. I think Heist typically has like one of the lowest ages, average ages at the club championships. And it's not because we don't have people on the high end. It's because we have so many people that are like in high school and college that it, we always have, like, it's, I think it's Heist and Nightlock that consistently have had the lowest average age. But yeah, I mean, Heist, up until Heist, I hadn't stayed with the team for more than two years. And I remember starting to captain in 2014. I like, I was like, oh my God, this is the team that I've been on longest in the club division. This is huge. This is my third season. Like, wow. I think that, there's some folks who wonder, I think, why I left Heist. There was definitely no bad blood or anything like that. Um, in 2018, I went through that, pro- like, my ex and I got divorced. And I think, like, for me, being on a team with so many people that I'm, that I was close with, it was a little bit hard to, like, try to bring my best self, like, sometimes just because I felt like I always had to explain how, like, how I was feeling and how I was doing in 2018. So it was good to have like that support. But then it also was kind of hard to focus on playing sometimes. And so in 2019, like, it was really about trying to just like go someplace without having to always bring that baggage. Like, obviously, it's part of my identity. Like people are just getting to know me. They're not jumping to like, oh my gosh, like these super deep existential questions every time I showed up to practice. And I just like mentally, I needed to have that break like for my mental health. And I can't, again, I can't describe, and it's really hard for me to articulate, put into words as an external processor, how amazing it was to be part of Heist. 2016, obviously, I tore my ACL. During Heist tryouts, I obviously did not have to play. I was a captain already.
0: You're already on the team, right? So <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, I actually laid out for it to catch a reset. Liz uh, Kalupek, well, now she's Liz Narmour. She played for Molly Brown after she left Heist when she moved to Colorado but it was at heist tryouts in 2016 and I laid out to catch a reset and like Liz laid out with me and she was like, are you, you okay? I'm just like bawling on the ground. I was just like, oh my, like I immediately knew what had happened. I had never torn an ACL, but you have enough, enough stories and stuff. I think like, it was awesome to be part of like, to help coach in 2016. I think in retrospect, I should have just taken the whole season off for my, for my mental health. And I've talked to a lot of folks who've I've gone through injuries who are considering coaching. and I've, I think I've told them all the same thing that I think I needed to have more separation than I gave myself. I don't think it was necessarily the best for my mental health. but again, I, I feel so much gratitude the community that Heist has built over the years to kind of allow me to explore. I don't at the, at the time, I wouldn't have been able to say, oh yeah, I, my mental health, like I, I couldn't have done this, but like I think through going the, going through the experience and having the support that I did, I realized oh maybe i shouldn't have done that to me it's like i wasn't even there when heist won the pro flight qualifying game i like it was the one game
0: Oh, that's the big game that's the big game right there right
1: (laughs) yeah i was i was on espn with uh, evan lepler doing commentary i think for the mixed division semifinals and uh that was it was really cool to have my teammates run up to me and like while i'm doing this like while i'm on air and be like oh my god we won we won I was like I I I had to keep it together because I was like on air like there was a there's a button though that you can press if you do need to like take a second and so it cuts your mic so I did do that just in case I did you know let something so I just I can't I can remember how excited I was about it and also like how sad that I felt that I didn't get to do it with them but I would definitely say the the pride and excitement won out over like that tiny little like, oh, I, I feel sad. But also, I was going through like this pretty difficult mental health thing. So, of course, it's normal to feel that way. At the time, I didn't understand it, but I was super stoked. And then we obviously were afforded some opportunities the season I got to come back in 2017 to access some big competition because we were in the pro flight. 2018 with Heist was we could probably we'll talk about it based on the questions i know you're going to ask we'll talk a little bit about it but 2018 for heist was like that was a really good season for so many reasons it was also really challenging and i wouldn't trade it for anything
0: yeah i mean you summarize a lot of your career i have a few questions to ask about that but first off thank you for listening to the podcast robin i know you're an avid listener so do appreciate that when you found out about the podcast you started to binge listen so uh, you can do that if you're interested in the podcast archive for those listening. Uh, check out some past episodes there. But Robin, it must have been really cool. I'm just thinking, you know, running your own program, building it from the ground up to make it to the national championships in your first year of existence.
1: I mean, it was wild because the North Central region, we only had one women's club bid. So we had to be pop. Minneapolis pop had been like the newer, like they had, they were a few years old, I would say. I think they started in 2008 and had qualified for Nationals every year since they had, they had started. And it, for us, it was kind of, it was a daunting task. I mean, we I think we won by maybe two or three points in our regional final. It was really hard fought. We had set up some, some scrimmages earlier in the season. We knew what to expect. It was challenging. It was really awesome. We were in Pool A. So our first game at Nationals, I remember it again very well because it was the year that Hurricane Sandy hit. We actually played most of Nationals in Hurricane Force wins, right?
0: Was it in Sarasota?
1: It was in Sarasota. um, So our first game, and because of the weather, Georgia's flight actually had gotten canceled on the night before the tournament. So she didn't come in until during our pool play rounds. So we played Fury our first game. Like, okay, first time club Nationals in the women's division, go play Fury. Awesome. Then we played Brute Squad. Brute Squad was still relatively, you know, new to the club championships and as we started the game the wind picked up and it was the points were so long I don't think I've ever cramped so many times in my life I would say it's it's not a super watchable game because it was a showcase game there was this one point where I like I got this cool layout block and I felt super cool and I was going to go pick up the disc and I just cramped and I fell and like Kyle Wiesbrod's doing commentary and he's just like wow, Fennig just gets a really athletic block, and then she hurts herself going to pick up the disc. Like, it looked like I tripped on the line, but really I was cramping. And I was totally fine, right? But you don't know that when you're doing commentary. And...
0: Do you chirp him about it now?
1: Oh, I've not. I don't think I've ever... I've never said anything about it, I don't think. It is something, though, because, like, in 2012, that was also, like, the first year I was full-time living in Madison. And so my work colleagues were watching this game, like on this big screen at work um, in, like, one of our conference rooms. And they, like, sent me, like, oh, go, Rob. And, like, so they were, like, watching this live stream and they were just, like, yeah, we, we didn't get to watch the whole game because it was getting kind of rough. And then we thought you hurt yourself and that guy was kind of being a jerk to you. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, literally Hurricane Sandy was happening and was on its way up the coast. But in our it, that's that's one hell of a first club nationals, right? Like, you play... Two of like the best programs in the women's division, like history in the same day. It's like, hello, welcome to Nationals heist. And also to be in Sarasota. That was pretty cool. Because by then, you know, it's frigid and crappy out in Wisconsin in October. So and then every year since then, I mean, I feel like the Nationals experience got better and better. And I don't think there was ever a year, at least that I took it for granted, qualifying for Nationals. I think the year that I really wish that I would have been able to play was in Rockford because that horizontal sleep rain thing is like my jam.
0: Based on your college experience. (laughs) That's funny. And uh, in 2019 there, uh, the most recent Nationals that we've had, uh, hoping obviously in 2021 that there'll be something. But, you know, Scandal with you as an addition and among some other players as well, I believe Caroline Normile as well was added to the squad. From uh, Philadelphia Amp, so you know there were some high expectations for your team, and unfortunately, it didn't go the way your team probably expected in, in terms of your finish. So, how did you balance that uh, reaction and and sort of in your life along with getting a pretty cool accolade of being named the club women's player of the year? So, that's probably kind of bittersweet too, right? Because you have some individual accolades, but then the team doesn't do as well as uh, they would have hoped.
1: It's totally wild because I like, I I don't know, like. It was weird to, I think, have like individual recognition that didn't seem to also see the like the fact that I was playing like, an, like a role on my team and I had fantastic teammates. I think that was the the really weird thing was that I feel like there's like this, I don't know if it's a a perception of me, that's like a very individualistic player when I feel like I am the exact opposite. I love my teammates, like, ride or die. Like, we like, I think it was really weird to see, I think, maybe how my teammates deserved to get more praise and to get more attention, and they weren't. And I I guess maybe it's it's because, like, I had, like, dedicated a lot of time and energy and love to heist and kind of became, like, you know, heist is my franchise, right? Like, I think any time a franchise player leaves... There's maybe some hype. It was interesting because my teammates, honestly, like the best. I got so much out of every practice I was able to go to, every game I got to play. I learned so much from being part of Scandal that it's, it's weird, I think, to like pull me out individually without also acknowledging that I was able to thrive because I was on that team. Scandal was a very different team experience because for the first time in how many years I didn't have to think like what are we going to do next point while I'm playing the point I was playing I didn't have to be in charge of scouting setting matchups all this stuff like it was really freeing to to just show up and play and not have to make all of the decisions about play time and even when we've had coaches I think the captains on heist have been very well integrated into team strategy, down to helping put together lines, our zones, like what our offense looks like, there's, you know, always a little flavor of different systems. So it was just so amazing to just show up and I got to just play and be a teammate as opposed to having to be in charge of everything and then simultaneously worrying about the logistics for hotels and dinners. And it's like, to me, it's like, it's no surprise that I think I played really well when I didn't have to do that. And I think it just, like, it goes to show the teams that do have great coaches and really great, like, captains to take care of stuff, it's easy for players to just play.
0: So you open up a good uh, segue into some questions here. In terms of uh, your style of play, you're known as a big-time thrower, and kind of what you said, basically, if you're a big-time thrower who takes shots, especially if you're on the D-line, right, and expected to make a lot of the hucks, you might be seen as uh, someone that is more individualistic, but you're saying that's, like... Far from the truth and but it's just your style of playing, and I think you've loved to to have cultivated that style. It seems to suit you right like your personality to want to be the shooter on the team and stuff, right
1: I mean, I feel like it's really hard to expect somebody who plays so like I, I went to a school that didn't have a huge ultimate team, right and I think the cool thing was that a lot of my teammates balanced a lot of different things. like all of us had a lot of different things going on. And I think there were some part, some people on our team. The ultimate wasn't definitely not the most important thing that they were doing, and we had a hard time getting some folks to come to practice. And then we had other people who were hyper focused on college ultimate. It's all we wanted to do. I did other things, but all of my my real time energy and attention went to to ultimate. Right, like so you have like we. I think we had this really big disparity in disc skills on my college team, and we're playing. I'm not kidding you in horizontal sleep with like sleep rain. Right, like. 30 mile an hour wind with like 50 mile an hour gusts. If you're playing in like 30 mile an hour wind and you have a big disparity in disc skills and it's your fields are usually oriented upwind, downwind, what are you going to do? Like, there's a lot of hucking and hoping in college women's, especially when you don't have dedicated coaches. And, you know, like it's to me, it's like it's not like a surprise that I became really interested in throwing. That was what my team needed in college. That was what I was super passionate and excited about throwing. So why wouldn't I practice those skills? When I played club mixed, like the first few years, I was a cutter, I was a, I was a D line cutter. I wasn't hucking the disc doing much. I was running for those discs, right? Like, it really wasn't until I started playing club women's that I did a lot more handling. I handled in college, but I didn't handle when I played mixed. And even now, like when I play summer league, or when I play mixed, I don't often handle a whole lot
0: so Robin something I want to ask you as well is playing on a team in heist that's not considered one of the quote-unquote top four women's teams and and we've seen in recent years a lot more parody in the women's game in the women's club game so what do you think uh is the reason for that because you know for years it's always been Fury Riot in the finals and then some other teams sprinkled in and you add Molly Brown now in there and squad, But other teams are are getting into the semis as well. Shout out to uh, Portland Schwa and Toronto Sixers, for example, in 2019. So what's changing in the women's game, you think, uh, from your perspective as a player in the division?
1: I think there's a lot of things. And I think the first thing that's worth noting is that there are coaches, I think, more widely being utilized in the women's club division. It definitely was not the case, I think, when I started playing in the women's division. I mean, Heist didn't have a coach until like 2016. I guess we had book we had coach one year in 2013. But I mean, I think that just the number of coaches and the number of coaches who are willing to spend a lot of time um, and energy coaching elite teams, because that I think the amount of time and energy that goes into coaching an elite team is way higher So I think that that's first and foremost that there are coaches and there are some coaches that are getting really good. I think the availability of film, the ability to film your own team, do film analysis, and like people just want to do that, spend time breaking down their film. Like, I I think that like, that was something that definitely happened in all the other sports I played, but it took a long time, I think, for that, like that enthusiasm for film study to really catch up in ultimate relative to other sports. So you have like, this coaching happening simultaneously with people wanting to consume more film to get better. Um, I also think that there's been a huge leap in kind of the professionalization of training around Ultimate. Um, I think like it's a given that everybody's lifting. They're doing some focus throwing. Like I think when I started, there weren't very many people on my college team that lifted. It was a pretty big... Gradient of how much time people spent outside of practice, and I think now the expectation is you're spending time outside of practice developing individual skills, developing and improving athleticism, and also spending time in the weight room. That was again not the case back in the day, and I think that there's uh, availability like between all of the various ultimate specific programming. I think that players are able to to focus on building those athletic qualities um, with ultimate specific training, and so I think that's helping push. The women's club game a lot, and the other thing is, I think that there is more like at least pre-pandemic. There's more women's club teams than there used to be. I think right when the Triple Crown tour started, I think that was a pretty big. uh, We saw at least in the North Central region, we saw a pretty bit. Well, Central region because I don't think we became the North Central until a little bit later after the college division. But we saw like when the regions changed. Like the format of the season changed, it did impact the women's division a little bit more significantly. So I, I think it took a few years to build some of the the supporting structure to build more women's teams. And as there were more players, I think there were more teams. And then you also had the coaching and like the improvements in training. I think that have all kind of come together. Yeah, I can't I can't speak to the other divisions because I've I competed in women's from twenty eleven to you know. The most recent season, it feels like there's like a competitive camaraderie between teams that I don't, I didn't necessarily feel in the mixed division. I was much younger back then. So that could be a, maybe that it did happen. I can't speculate about what happens in the men's division, but I I feel like there's a little bit more camaraderie with the teams. Like it's a competition, but people embrace that. And I think like people are just really honestly rooting for good competitive ultimate and want to see our division as a whole succeed. And I I think that that also helps, right? Like you might be competitive with another team, like they might be your rival, but you also respect the hell out of them. So I think that there's also like this desire to see the women's club division just like have more parity. And honestly, like I'm so thankful for the teams that kind of have those dynasties because Especially, like, I think about the most iconic games. Like, I've watched that Fury-Riot 2008 club game so many times. And I think that Fury and Riot, and in recent years, Brute Squad, have done a lot to push the game forward. And thankfully, I think it's it's been captured really, really nicely on film. And people can really take time to study and learn from the teams that have those systems if you would have asked somebody in 2008 who's never played on one of the powerhouse teams, like, Oh, what's your system? People are like, well, we want a horizontal stack, but like I think there's components to an offense that those structures are part of the system, right? It's not just, I'm running a horizontal stack. Well, what, what is your reset system? What is your philosophy about space and clearing and what spaces you're prioritizing during what part of a stock? Like I think the idea of systems have also has also evolved and that has a lot to do with film and coaching and maybe because we're more athletic again I don't know I think that the coaching the film and the athleticism thing is definitely like
0: everything is kind of related but Robin you talked a lot about the growth of ultimate so we're going to move into a shorter segment for today of of your daily life so I do want to get to what you do kind of for work but uh, can you talk about your role with USA Ultimate on the board and, and what you've what are some things that you feel like you've helped pioneer, not that obviously you're doing it on your own, but what are some things that you've seen in your time there on the board that's really helped push the needle forward in the growth of Ultimate there?
1: I honestly think when I joined the board, I didn't really understand what the USA Ultimate Board of Directors did. And that's okay, because I've learned a lot. And I have I think I've really embraced um, the role that governance plays in in that. And I think USA Ultimate, I mean, I've been part of the volunteer structure of USA Ultimate for a really long time, um, since 2010. And I've actually been a volunteer in the college division, the youth division, the club division. Like, I think that the knowledge of being a volunteer in those, and like the three biggest structures, obviously there's the masters in the beach division. I just, I'm not, I've, I haven't been part of the volunteer structure, but I've obviously been a competitor in, in, in those two divisions. But I think like having that really well-rounded perspective of all of the programs, like not just the competition and competitive programs, but also the community development programs and uh, the grant programs and the youth uh, development stuff um, as an organizer has been really helpful for me to like to like share that that experience um, with other folks on the board who may not have that experience. And I think like for me, my involvement at USAU now is really looking at that really strategic level at the governance structure. Um, right now, I mean, 2021 is a big year. Our CEO's contract does expire at the end of the year. So we're going through that that whole process. We're starting that now, looking at a new strategic plan. Like those are some of the things that I'm really excited to get more involved with. I think that it took me a few years to really understand what my role was. The first year that I was on the board, I was the treasurer. And I think I had way more involvement and interaction Going through like audits and stuff like that. But as the president, it's really like trying to make sure our committees are doing what we're supposed to do. And I think there's been like this big shift since I've been on the board from being kind of a micromanaging board to like more of a governing board. Like there are still things that we do have to manage just based on the committee structure we have. But then there's also things that we're really focusing on policy level, not on like the day to day operations. Again, I think like my role is definitely more at that strategic level and checking in with folks and making sure that we're getting the the committee work that we need done. I think right now, bouncing back from COVID, um, some of our committees have definitely had an increase in workload and specifically like trying to reimagine like, what does ultimate look like? Like, how are you going to invite people back? It's not a given that people are just going to put their cleats on and go chase some plastic, right? Like, how are we going to do that? And we have to be really open and honest in that and, it's those conversations are happening. And I hope that I hope that the community continues to engage with us in those conversations. I think like the return to play stuff, I think Will and Stacy did a fantastic job with our medical working group in like having those webinar conversations about return to play. Because you know, that's going to be something that's really big in the strategic stuff that's happening. The workload is definitely transforming from like, crap, how do we keep the lights on to now, like, okay, now we can get back into like, kind of, I don't want to say normal operations, because they're not normal. But like, talking about doing things as rather than like, how can we just keep things moving? How can we keep the organization alive? So that we can do things in the future. Now we're actually getting to the point where we're doing things again. So I think that's going to evolve in the next few months and excited to be part of that
0: yeah i'm excited to see kind of what happens as well not just with uh, usa ultimate but around the world both here in canada where i am and and just everywhere to see what happens with ultimate and where we go from here and so robin just kind of another question here with this uh with your daily life so how do you balance you know you're on the board as you just mentioned you're balancing playing ultimate when there is like pre-pandemic and you're also balancing work so how do you how do you kind of do that all what does your day look like then uh balancing all those things
1: I'm a very meticulous user of my various calendar apps, that's for sure. Outside of Ultimate, I work in kind of the emergency management field uh, for the state of Wisconsin. I'm the state hazard mitigation officer, which means that I oversee the administration of various hazard mitigation assistance grant programs. I I get to do a lot of different things, which is nice. I like to, you know, keep busy. It's a lot going on at work. COVID was, was something. Like I, if, if Ultimate, di- I would have probably quit Ultimate if Ultimate didn't stop just because of the, the disaster response stuff for COVID that I got pulled into. Um, I was working, you know, I think that was the other weird thing is when COVID happened, I had a lot of friends who were, you know, getting laid off, losing their jobs because their companies were closing or like, and here I was working 65 plus hours a week doing COVID response stuff. The other thing that was really weird is I think like when people think of COVID response, they're thinking of like people in the medical field. And so it was like weird, And like I'm not in public health. Obviously, each state kind of handled the response different. That was not how it was supposed to be by all of our plans and training and exercises that we've been doing for years about pandemics. That's a whole nother story. I was having a really hard time, I think, relating to a lot of my friends. I felt very isolated. So at the beginning of COVID, my, my daily life was like, I worked all the time. I put whatever food I could manage to put into my body In my body, I drank way too much and slept very little, didn't do very much activity at all. And then I think like, as our agency started to pull people out of COVID response, and I started going back more to my normal grant management activities, I was able to like reestablish healthy habits and things like that. I think also living in Madison, like there's usually like in a non COVID pandemic environment, we have lots of leagues, there's spring league, there's summer league, like I could literally play ultimate four to five days a week without even playing on a club team as an adult. So I could I actually probably could play all seven days if I went to all the pickup too. So like, Plus Goldie, like there's a lot of access to disc sports. So I think it's actually easier in a city like Madison to to be able to balance work life for me and my my like career path, just because there's ultimate right there. And I happen to work for an agency where being active physically is very important.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact that you could play seven days a week, I don't know if you're going to do that, Robin, but you the opportunity, the opportunity presents itself, which is pretty cool.
1: That's correct. Well, the other thing too, is because there's so many leagues, like people in Madison have seen ultimate. They know that I'm not playing disc golf and they know that I'm not like playing with a dog playing or doing frisbee tricks or whatever. Like they understand that ultimate is a field sport that you need athleticism and coordination. You have to be in shape because you can't drive around Madison without seeing it in the summer or bike around Madison. We also have a really like biking is really big in Madison as like a form of commuting so like it's a pretty active place and people know what ultimate is so when i have to like if i want to submit a a vacation request or a time off request at work like i'm going to an ultimate tournament they're not like sure you are you're gonna go smoke pot it's like not that there's anything wrong with that but you know what i mean like they know what i'm doing there's like a clarity about why i'm taking time off or it's a very different kind of
0: environment that sounds like, you know, I, I kind of want to move to Madison right now, it sounds like, so that I could just be active all the time. That sounds, uh I am jealous of that, Robin, I'm not going to lie. Winter
1: sucks, though. You don't want to live here in the winter.
0: Yeah, kind of like, maybe like a snowbird that, from Ontario, that, you know, instead of going to, I guess you would go to Florida for a bit, and then, you know, in the summer, move back up to to Madison there, or something like that. So, we're going to jump in now into the memory vault, okay? So, you got to dig deep into, you know, a long career there, 14 plus years of Ultimate playing. You got to narrow down your favorite and least favorite game. So which one do you want to start with?
1: There's two games, honestly, that I, I can think of that are my least favorite. And it's actually, it was our game to go to the game to go, my first college regionals in 2007. And then... When scandal lost to Phoenix in our pre quarters game at Nationals in twenty nineteen, and it's actually for the same reason. When I'm part of a team, I buy in a hundred percent, and I believe that my teammates can access the very best skills and the very like I, I truly believe and expect that they can ball out every time that they're on the field. And the reason that they're those are my least favorite games isn't because we lost. It's because for for one game it felt like my teammates lost confidence in themselves and they didn't believe like in the magic that I could see in them. You know, does that make sense? Like to see my teammates, like when you look into their eyes, like wonder if they're capable of doing what I, I very well know that they're capable of doing like as an ultimate player or as an athlete in general, if you have any hesitation about whether or not you believe you can do something, you're not going to do it. And I think like, there was kind of this breakdown in this, like kind of in the second half where that sparkle and that confidence, that swagger that my teammates normally would have kind of went away. And it was like, I felt like in between points or like, I I spent a lot of time and energy trying to be like, trying to shake them. Like, no, you're awesome. Like you are a badass, Like, no, like you, you like, we have to believe in ourselves. Like, and anytime that you're trying to convince somebody to believe in themselves, like, you kind of have already lost the battle, you know, like I truly believe that scandal was a like, we could have made it at least to semis, but you have to believe that you can. And I think in that game, we didn't believe that and hats off to Phoenix, honestly, for playing really, really like really well and having that confidence in that swagger in that game. And we didn't, and there were definitely times during the season that that scandal brought that energy and that, that confidence. And we did it. Like, we won those games. So my favorite games, I can tell you there's three games. Again, it's, it's very similar. In those three games, so Heist lost our pre-quarters game to Scandal in 2018. We lost on Universe Point. Yaka, we lost our semifinals game on Universe Point to uh, Kuzikshout at UCF in 2019. And honestly, Heist, we won our regional game, regional finals On Universe, there were two bids, so it wasn't necessarily like the game to go in 2018. So I won one of those games and I lost two of those games. And those are my favorite games because for like everyone on our team, unequivocally bought into we could win that game. And honestly, for Heist, like I feel like a lot of years we spent so many times like trying to just like find the confidence to find what our ceiling was. And I really like our goal in 2018 was to make it to quarterfinals for the first time. Wasn't to qualify for the pro flight or anything like it was to make it to quarterfinals because there's something about making it to quarters in the new, new bracket format. Like that's a really big deal. And Heist has never made it to quarters, but every single person on that team in 2018 believed we could do it. The same thing for Yaka in 2019 at UCF, like everyone believed that we could get to the championship game. And, like, just knowing that, like, it makes the loss that much, like, more excruciatingly painful. But it was like, no, we believed every single person with their whole being. And, like, to be on a team where everyone feels that, it's magic. And it doesn't even matter if you hit that, hit that goal. It's about getting everybody to really buy in, to put in the, the time and energy behind it to support that goal. Like, it's magic to be on a team like that. Like, it doesn't matter if you win. If you're on a team that's just, like, I'm kind of getting teary-eyed talking about it. I'm going to have to, like, mute my microphone.
0: Love it. Love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, being on a team where you can, you believe in yourself as much as you believe in every single one around you, That that's the kind of stuff they make movies about, right? Like.
0: They do. They do. It's true.
1: At least they, at least write articles, like, uh, like the Players' Tribune about it, right?
0: Yeah, they do. They do. So. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, Robin, maybe uh, at the end when I ask for uh, socials and stuff like that, you can plug some of those games if they're available online. So Robin, we're going to move to the last segment, Rapid Fire here. We're going to start off with some ultimate questions. So first one being, which throw do you prefer as a thrower? you got to have a, a preference. I think I know what's coming, but flick or backhand? Flick. What about hammer or scuba?
1: Hammer. It's the same grip. Why would I change? You don't need a backhand.
0: I mean, it's a good point. That is—that's the first time someone said that, so that is a good point. What about as a handler? Would you rather drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone?
1: Ooh, I just feel yucky. Well, I'm not on—I'm not really on the O line in general, so I mean, I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna be the. I do love fielding the pull so much, so I couldn't drop the pull. I'd like to give my team a lot of time to play defense. So in the end zone, we'll, we'll say in the end zone.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. What about winning five silver medals at, at nationals or just one gold medal, but you never appear in the final before or after that gold medal victory?
1: Honestly, it depends on the team experience, right? And I know I got to pick an, pick an answer. I honestly think that it, to to get five silvers for me, to be honest, because that means that you're on a team that's achieving like high-quality um I mean, you you can't make it to semifinals five times if on on a team, if your team culture is toxic, you can't make it to finals five times if you don't have really good depth. And like the the separation between gold and silver, yes, like that's obviously like there's the satisfaction about gold, but to be part of a, a program that could do that so many times, I've never been on that. And I like, I don't have that many years left. So if I could have five years where I was on a team- that could replicate excellence for five consecutive years. Like I would take that because that to me, that says a lot about the team culture that it's, it's excellent and it must be a positive place. If you're continuing to get there five times, like I would want to be part of five amazing years. That's I I think I just, I value the time that it takes five times to do that.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Robin controversial question here as you're on the board, but. Should Ultimate, the name, be renamed to something else?
1: Oh, absolutely not.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: It is what it is. I think it should be Ultimate. Why would we change the name?
0: Uh, Some people, you know, Robin, some people want it changed, though.
1: All of the disc organizations, all of the federations across the world would have to, like... At least USA Ultimate would have to reincorporate. It'd be like, we'd have to change our name. That would be... That'd be a lot to go through. And I feel like in... Depending, I think a lot of countries actually, their DISC federations like are like flying DISC, like with diff.
0: Yes, Italy, Italy, I think Ireland as well. I think they're different ones like that. So
1: yeah, so I, I, I don't know, like if there's, I think there'd also like if we change the name for the countries that they're whose federations did have ultimate in the name, they'd, they'd have to rename their federation. And I think that could have some like weird funding implications and all sorts of things. So we should just keep it the way it is.
0: Hey, that's a perspective never before heard on the podcast. So do appreciate that. And uh, what about should ultimate? You've played in the PUL and the AUDL with refs. So should uh, referees be in ultimate even at the world's level or club level, or or just stick to observers and game advisors?
1: The thing is, like, I think the people who really, really want refs is that just at the highest levels, or is that the the expectation? Because like, I think even. Now, like, I, as someone who grew up playing other sports, I, I mean, I officiated in basketball and, and softball and baseball, and like, I've been an official, I, I think like people are like, Oh, I don't want someone to get the call wrong all the time. And it's like, officials don't get the call right. Anyways, like, the, they're biased, they have all those other things. And I, I think like, for me as an athlete, I do like that ultimate, you know, does ask a little bit more of its athletes in terms of self officiating. I think there's some flaws um, in some of the norms that our our community does have around spirit of the game. And I think Ari did a really good job in her interview talking about some of those. But I also think that I prefer it. I prefer the self-officiation aspect. Um, and I think that we can do better with, with what we define as self-officiation. But I do like that added challenge. Uh, and I also think it to me, it humanizes the interactions that I have with my opponents in a way that it doesn't have in other sports, so I really I'm very pro self officiation. And if you want to incorporate game advisors for like rules clarifications, that's really my my preference versus refs, I should say.
0: So, Robin, now some non ultimate questions. You're gonna have a chance to have a meal with three different people in the course of human history. They could be brought back from the dead, or they could be currently living. Of course. So, who are you gonna have this meal with?
1: Well, first and foremost, I would want to have a meal with Jesus Christ. I think that. I'm not super open. I am Christian and would love to. I think that there's a lot of things that I, I would like to get some advice about, like, hey, how do we change people's perceptions that people think you're white? Because that's that's not a thing like and also how can we teach people who have this really toxic idea of Christianity to be more accepting of, of, of lots of things and not judgmental? Because that was definitely not the message there. That's definitely something I think that's appeared in other podcast episodes. I would say the second thing, the second person, Serena Williams. Like so many things, I could, I could. Is it only one meal? Uh, It's going to be an all-day, many, many courses meal because I just would like to spend so much time with her. And then the last one is I'd like to have a meal with my grandpa. Um, He, I think, passed like right. When I started Ultimate, like I used to talk to my grandpa every single day uh, up until he died. One of the last conversations I had with him before he passed was I'm going to this Ultimate practice later this week. I started playing Ultimate and I never really got to tell him about it. And I think it'd be fun to like share how this thing that I told you about that I didn't do yet, like it changed my life. And I think that would be cool.
0: That would be pretty cool. I I like the answer though. Uh, you know, a mix of different things, right, in your life and what is meaningful to you. So what about, uh, you know, in your backyard there in Madison, if you have one, you're putting on the Robin Fennig concert, okay? You got to pick three bands or artists. They could be broken up or brought back from the dead, all that good stuff. So you got to pick three, but also the order.
1: And here's the thing. As someone who's recently binged, like, so many episodes, I knew this question was coming. And I, like, was afraid to even mentally commit in my brain. The opener... I'd want to get somebody to like hype up the crowd, get ready to dance a little bit. So I would pick, I would pick Kesha because I think Kesha's awesome. I think that like talk about an artist that I, I listen to lots when I'm doing activity, like whether it's running or like at an ultimate, like you know, ultimate game, like warming up. Like I just think that, I, and I love how Kesha has evolved musically. I think she's very talented, so I would pick her as my opener. I feel like the second act is never, it's like, it's not as important in terms of like setting the tone for the concert. People are just waiting for the last one. So I'll pick one of my favorite bands, which is called Bad Sons, like an alt rock band. Again, I, I feel like I listen to them a lot while I'm working out and I think they've tackled some, some really cool themes in some of their music. So, and then closing it out, I'd pick Fiona Apple because I think that, again, she's a songwriter that, tackles some really difficult subjects and just like is so emotionally raw when she performs her newest album i think was like just so many emotions that i needed that to someone i needed someone else to like put out there during covid she'd close it out and i'd be like crying ugly tears by the end of the show
0: some different hype in this concert because you're going from party to like alt rock and then to kind of like more sappier music. So it's kind of interesting. You're not doing it the other way around, you know,
1: I would prefer a good cry to like a good laugh any day. So like, for me, it's like laughing, starting out light and then getting super heavy. That's like the ideal, like emotional roller coaster for me. Like I could end the day with a good, like cry, feel it. Again, crying doesn't necessarily mean I'm sad, but like, just feeling so many feelings. I think I would love it. Now, 2018, Robin did not enjoy feeling all the feelings. But 2021, Robin, who's got an amazing therapist, loves to feel her feelings.
0: Hey, it's all about self-growth. I love it. And last question here. Can't choose ultimate as the answer to this. You know what question's coming. You got to pick a different sport to be really good at. And you and you have all the talent, though. You could be seven foot tall. You could be five one. You can play tennis at Wimbledon, golf at the Masters, or you could play WNBA, NBA, you know, whatever you want. So what are you going to pick?
1: Oh, that's a tough question because I do love the WNBA, but my favorite sport to watch is handball, like team handball. I would want to play on the Norwegian Women's National Handball Team at the um, European Championships in 2020, watching them play. um, For those of you who aren't handball fans... I would liken the way that they play, especially offensively, to like the way I think that Oregon Fugue kind of transformed the women's college division in in Ultimate, where they really they pass super fast. They have this super high scoring, efficient offense, but it's really just quick, fast passes. Like their time of possession was like maybe a third or a fourth of what their opponents had, and they scored, they outscored everyone.
0: Yeah. For sure, for sure. And so, Robin, that actually ends our episode for today. I know we got talking about a lot of a lot of good topics there, and so do appreciate you giving of your time. So, Robin, if people want to find out more about you, or they want to reach you about some USAU stuff, or or just want to talk, uh, where can they find you online? And then also, why don't you plug some games as well that people should watch?
1: You can catch me. I've got the same um, handle for both Twitter and Instagram. It's WI underscore state bird, like Wisconsin underscore state bird, which is the Robin. Yeah, I'm pretty active on both Instagram and Twitter. I don't know. I don't think there's any other Robin Fennings out there. If you wanted to Facebook stalk me, I think my profile is public, but I don't really put anything too deep on there. Like the PUL uh semifinal game, uh, Atlanta Soul vs. uh Revolution. I think there's some games from WUCC of Yaka that, that are publicly
0: available. What about any big heist games that you can remember?
1: I don't think there's any. F- the only free one, I think, is our 2012 one where we were playing in Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, heist. I, f- I feel like heist wasn't really filmed a whole lot. But there's a lot of Yaka games, I feel like that I've been filmed with.
0: I'll uh, plug that in the show description. So if you want to check it out, I'll uh, plug all the, the socials for Robin and the games. And Robin, do you have a USA Ultimate email that people can reach you at that's a little bit more formal if they have any questions like that? or?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Robin, R-O-B-Y-N dot Fenig F-E-N-N-I-G at uh, USAultimate.org.
0: Perfect. So if you want to have any, uh, you know, big Ultimate kind of governance or any types of those questions those may be more for a setting for email to that and then maybe if you want to talk casually to robin you can uh, do that via the twitter or instagram so robin thank you again for coming in long illustrious career i think there's more to come for you right i don't think you're done playing i don't think you're done throwing out there so excited to see what you do
1: thanks for having me have a great day
0: thanks for listening keep an eye out for the next episode and last episode of season two where I interview Chris Cotcher. Chris has played for New York Pony, Sydney Colony, and Team USA. And he is a three-time selection to the Ulti World Club men's first team. In this interview, Chris shares his journey from Padilla High School all the way to playing club with New York Pony. And we get to hear what led him to moving to Australia to play for Colony during the 2018 World Ultimate Club Championships. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports. And you can check out some commentating highlights on YouTube at Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.